You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Hello everyone, welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third Robin, Tim Drake. We will be looking at the classic 90s 2000 Robin series and other notable comics with Tim in that era, while also simultaneously taking a look at Tim in the modern era as Red Robin in the pages of DC Comics, plus other Robin and Batman happenings in the world. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. For them, love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. Welcome to episode 61. This podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Uh, we're also part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network and also part of the Batman on Film, BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. You can get a hold of us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, just search Everyone Loves the Drake. Uh, Twitter is at ELTD Podcast. You can email into the show at Robin ELTD Podcast. And you can check us out on YouTube at Robin Everyone Loves the Drake Podcast. Uh, with me, as always, is Terrence. Terrence, how are you doing today, sir? I am doing great, Rob. I'm I'm ready to crack into some old books from the uh, the actual 90s. We're out of the 80s now into the 90s, and and uh, everything old is new again in in the world of Tim Drake. So um, everything's great. But hey, speaking of old stuff, I gotta I gotta admit when you told me the last episode. Uh, was going to be the zero issue, and you had this book that you've had since you were like what <laughs> eight or nine with yeah. the Kool Aid stains on it. I, you know, personally, I, I I thought it was cool. I was like, oh, this is cool. I like this. I like this. But I didn't know how, you know, like the the audience would take it. You know, like uh, and, and even yeah. you, I think you were a little skeptical because many too. times you were like, oh man, thanks for the indulgent. Like like <laughs> like if you didn't like this, this isn't the new format of the show. <laughs> no. But uh, I have to say, if the people people who hated it didn't were quiet, and the people <laughs> who, who listened to it gave us a lot of positive feedback on that. There, there was a lot of cool comments about it. I somebody I got to find where it was. Uh, John Ritter. Uh, I'm sorry, not John Ritter. <laughs> he, he's from Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Ritter. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I, he probably gets that all the time yeah. too. Like, but Jason Ritter uh, said, uh, "Really enjoyed. Hope you do more of these kinds of episodes." So I was like, "Oh, cool." You know, because I, I really liked it. And uh, what I thought was cool too is from some of some of the listeners, like it brought back childhood memories, not necessarily of that book, but of things that they had when they were a kid. And like um, our good buddy Rich, who's a good fan of the show, wrote about how he had these Seven Eleven cups from the seventies that his mom had got them, and on the back were descriptions of like Tim Drake, not Tim Drake, that he wasn't around yet, <laughs> but Dick Grayson, the other the other Robin, but Dick Grayson and Alfred Pennyworth and Bruce Wayne, and he would like read the cups and 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 hearing you talk about the book brought back those memories and um yeah it, it brought back like a lot of memories of like those little batman things that you had as a kid mm-hmm. 
that are that are now gone. And the the funny thing I was thinking too is um you know, if anybody's seen your YouTube videos, you've got a lot of valuable stuff in that room, a lot of, you know, hot toys. And, and But I bet you, like, if, if it was, you know, your house was on fire and you could grab one thing, you'd grab that Kool-Aid stained book that oh, yeah. probably is worth, like, 75 cents on, on eBay over things that are worth a heck of a lot more. And same here, like, I would grab uh, above anything that my very first comic I got, which was the Death in the Family trade paperback that mm-hmm. my mom bought me and – even the uh the book not to be corny here or or but the book that you got me the robin number 1 signed by you know uh chuck dixon like yeah. that, that's that has no value on ebay there's not a lot of people who want robin 1 with terrence written across the front of it <laughs> right. but but the fact that you you know bought that book for me and then contacted chuck dixon then sent it to chuck dixon then he sent it back then you um you know sent it to me like that has more value than than you know actual like what it's worth so i thought that was was pretty cool um the 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 feedback and bringing back a lot of good memories for people i think that's the the thing about like i'm an action figure collector if you've seen um you know my my youtube channel if you've seen all the stuff that i buy even just the the Tim Drake Robin stuff that I'll post on the Twitter or Instagram or whatever, but it's like the toys of like the the seventies. You know, the, if you have the original Luke Skywalker from you know uh, the very first Star Wars and it's in the, its original box, you know that's that's pristine. You want to have that, but the stuff now that I see people collecting, you know, the new Star Wars figures and they've got them in their box. I'm like, those are. A dime a dozen. It's it's the little things that, like, I got this book as a kid. Or, you know, I've got the comic that Chuck uh, sent the three of us, signed to each one of us, and I have that, you know, all, hanging up on the wall right now. So you're talking about in the fire, I'll grab that book and, you know, swipe yeah. that one off the wall. But it's it's the dumb little things of your childhood that – I shouldn't even call them dumb – that – Make you go, man, it's, it's like that book I said in the last show. I, I took it with me everywhere. It was like my security blanket, uh, for lack of a, a better description. So I think those are the things that, you know, now as we're adults still talking about Batman, that book and those little, you know, my first little superpowers figures that I had, those things make me think of a, a really cool time and knowing that that thing that I love so much is still continuing. So it, it, it made me feel good that a, a lot of people, uh, on the podcast, we're sending good uh, notes. Uh, Professor Frenzy here, who uh, does bat, uh, bat books for beginners, uh, he had replied on Twitter, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Michael uh, Frecker, if I'm saying that right, please uh, forgive me. It says, uh, Rob's com- uh, computer voice, and there's uh, some emojis of him <laughs> laughing. I've got more replies <laughs> yeah. on, on the computer voice. So, and... I forget who you, who you said uh, that liked it and wanted more of it. Then I started going, oh, crap, I'm going to have to do more of those. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole subgenre of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> right. Rob, read this. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And, and Professor Frenzy, he's pretty awesome. He always retweets our podcast oh, yeah. when it comes out. We appreciate that. There's, there's several people on Twitter who do that, and we, we really appreciate that. And – uh you know, there's a couple people who are kind of new to the show, so I don't know when they'll they'll get to this. But um, I know one of them. I think if you found the other one, Sherry Sherwood, mm-hmm. um, she had, had reached out to us on Facebook, and um, I think she's getting back into to comics with the Lonely Place of Living, which we'll talk about in a minute. But she had she had sent us and said that she had started on um, 
episode one and is working her way up the episodes and she's on about like i think 20 or so now so sherry i don't know when in the future you'll catch up to this and then get it and hopefully you've stuck with it hopefully when the parents guy appears you're not like oh forget this show i'm done with this i i liked it the other way yeah but uh yeah we appreciate you uh reaching out to us and and we we hope you enjoy it and continue to listen i had a question for you rob because you you went away on vacation and we saw a little tim drake went with you yeah but uh did you get any odd looks through security having a tim drake <laughs> figure with you or was he in the uh the stowaway luggage uh, he was in the my uh batman backpack my wife got me on our ninth anniversary uh the previous oh, cool. year um which really cool backpack um it's got a spot for like ipads and it's really you know not uh, form-fitting but it's got like foam padding in it to protect stuff traveling uh, abroad now i can say it you know uh, TSA, they don't find stuff funny. <laughs> so, yeah. like all all that stuff, uh, I just kind of kept uh, quiet and uh, went through the metal detectors. And so uh, I told Tim, just be quiet, don't say nothing. I don't think Bruce even <laughs> knows. I don't think Bruce knows you left the country. <laughs> uh, you had mentioned uh, lonely place of uh, living. And uh, some of you may have re- saw the poll that I put up and like, hey, help pick our next episode. And Terrence and Ryan had a really good idea that I was like, oh, we're, we're going to cover this live with everything. But then uh, Terrence and I got to talking right before that we would be spending the episodes after each issue going, well, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. What do you think is going to happen? Unless one of us had some crazy zany you know, idea, we thought it would be better to let everything collect and be done. Uh, Terrence also gets his books uh, from uh, a discount comic book service. Is that right? Yeah, they have ads in uh, DC Comics. They they have a thing where like our our, ad, our prices are so low, DC doesn't let us uh, say what they are. We're not uh, we're not sponsored by no, them. No. <laughs> I, I'd like to be. I sent them an email asking if they'd want to sponsor us, and they they were nice enough to send an email back saying no, not at this time. So that was like nice. They didn't just delete the email, but oh, right. yeah, that's sponsored in any way. But I, I highly recommend them. Um, if you don't have a local comic book store, my my local comic book store is a good, you know, 30 minutes away um, and it's in a, a way that I don't go. So um, it's really out of the way. So it, it's very convenient. So but I did read Lonely Place of Living. I, I did. Uh, I'm going to buy so many copies of this book. I, I bought I, I had ordered both covers, the regular standard one and the um, alternate cover. And I, I bought it digitally also. And I'm sure I'll buy the trade paperback when that comes out. Same too. here. So uh, I have read it and I am pretty familiar with it. And one of our um, Facebook followers, Evan Galdine, I hope I hope I said that right, said the preview came out like the first three or four pages. And he said, are they finally fixing Tim's origin? Question mark. And I replied, I think so. Exclamation point. So, yes, it's been it's been quite exciting. Part one. Yeah, uh, and by and and when you said we we had this, it was a it was a fairly heated discussion. It was about oh, as heated yeah. as Rob and I get whether to <laughs> devote the entire podcast to a lonely place of living or actually do some uh, prodigal. But um, we've decided we're going to talk about lonely place of living just a little bit here, and then devote the majority of the episode to prodigal. Yeah, I think it'll it'll allow us to once prodigal is completed for us, a lonely place of living will be done, completed, and maybe even collected. And uh, probably not collect at that point, but then we can kind of talk it as a an event and spend, you know, maybe two or possibly three podcasts just talking 
about that event and kind of really welcoming Tim back. And, oh. and let me say, I sorry to interrupt you there, Rob, but I, I pulled a total uh, like I, what Batman villain would do this? Maybe like an Oswald Cobblepot or a, <laughs> or, or or just an underhand move because Rob really wanted to do this lonely place of living, and I was wanted to do Prodigal, and I I had known in a, a text that Ryan had wanted to side with me. So when in the, we were texting back and forth, I was like, well, let's just make it a vote. Let's just have a democracy. Let's just do a vote and let's see. I Rob votes for one. I vote for the other. We'll let Ryan be the tiebreaker, <laughs> fully knowing which side Ryan was on and what he would vote. Yes. If I, had, if I knew Ryan was on your side, I never would have suggested a vote, you know, like oh, democracy. Funny. You know? So, uh, but uh, unfortunately, and you can hear Ryan, we haven't just like totally talked over him and <laughs> neglected him. Uh, unfortunately, he can't be with us today. He's got um, a lot of family stuff going on this weekend. And so we, we, we wish him and his wife and his daughter, you know, nothing but the best and, and hope, you know, um, everything goes well with them. But um, he, he can't be here, but hopefully he'll be back soon. So sorry, Rob, go ahead. What were you saying about Lonely Place Living? <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, Ryan, I'm going to refer to him as Russia <laughs> right now. I think, yeah. he, I think he got in this election and messed everything up. No, this is not a political <laughs> podcast at all. That's for uh, Rick Shue uh, to handle over on his, <laughs> on his yeah. podcast. Um, no, I think with just Lonely Place of Living, we thought that would be better to let it let everybody get it, read it, and then they can come to listen to us, you know, a few episodes down the line and then kind of celebrate uh, the story with us. Terrence and I had speculated, um, I think a couple episodes ago, of who's in the cell with Tim, who uh, Mr. Oz could potentially be. So I'll kick it over to you, Terrence. Who, who were your top runners for who Mr. Oz could be? Who were your top choices? Or I think maybe you only really had one. So... Uh, what was your guess, and then who is in fact Mr. Oz? Yeah, and first of all, total spoilers. So yeah. if you don't want to be spoiled, stop now. Um, but we had talked about this, and I can't. I mean, the podcast blurred together to me because yeah. while before we record the podcast all week, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say on the podcast, and then we <laughs> record the podcast, and then I think about what I should have said or did say after. And then I listened to it, and then sometimes I, I, we, we, we recorded a couple things that we lost due to uh, technical difficulties, and yeah. I know you spliced some things around. So then I, I can't remember when or where we had the discussion <laughs> of know. who Mr. Oz might be. So it may be out there on a podcast, or it may have just been in my head, or it may have been one of the things that was lost. I'm pretty sure it was real, though. Surprise, this is an edit into the show. Um, I went back and I started going through the episodes because Terrence was like, w w did I dream that we had this discussion? Did it get lost in the, <laughs> the editing? So this is, in fact, a real thing, Terrence. We, you and I did have this discussion. Uh, I thought it'd be interesting to go back and play the actual audio. At the time that we recorded this episode, I just you know asked, well, what, what were your guesses? And we were you know just kind of talking about it. But I thought this would be cool to actually hear our guesses back from episode 57, which is where this came from. And 57 wasn't that long ago. Uh, the episode was released on July 19th, and we were just finishing uh, the Robin issue that concluded uh, Nightfall to kind of give you some uh, perspective of how, how long ago that was. So it wasn't that far. It was just in uh, July, and this is uh, getting ready. This episode you're listening to is obviously October. 
But these were our guesses of uh, who Mr. Uh, Oz was or uh, who Tim possibly saw in the cell. Uh, Here's Anais Terrence's uh, actual uh, guesses, and then we'll go back to uh, present time. So I hope you enjoy this little uh, trip down memory lane just a few months ago. So let's see how close uh, Terrence and I guessed uh, the things that... uh, uh, lonely place of living uh, gave us. So here we go. Let's go back in our time machine just about three months ago. So here you go. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Did you want to lay down a, a prediction of who was in that cell next to Tim Drake that he can't leave for? Or Wow. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I, I go between... Uh, the Batman Beyond version of Tim Drake that he could see himself, and then I have a prediction for Oz next. So if it's not seeing his older self from the future, um, I want to say it's going to be Connor Kent. So that that would be my guess that it's uh, Connor Kent, Superboy. Um, so I don't know how they're going to play that with having John uh, Kent, the current Superboy, with Damien. Um, and then my guess for Mr. Oz that if it's not young Tim Drake or Batman Beyond version Tim Drake that that's who um, Mr. Oz is. So that's that's my prediction. I'm probably wrong. Terrence, do you have a a guess? Yeah, I don't know. I mean the 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 logical thing would be it'd be somebody Tim knows. So that goes Connor or uh, Bart Allen, and then. Um, if you figure Jeff Johns is a big part of it and you look at his Teen Titans run, because writers tend to go with characters that they've, you know, worked with or really like. Uh, but at this point, it, I, it could be anybody. I, I don't know. But if I had to bet on somebody, I'd have to probably say Connor Kent. Um, Ozzy or Mr. Oz, you know, like there's the, maybe it's Ozzy Mendias from The Watchmen. Right. At first, it's not Dr. Manhattan because he was in something else and um, – He's he's been placed somewhere else. I had a thought that maybe he might actually be a good guy because if you look, you know, he he kind of saved or he saved Tim Drake's life right. by doing that, and then he saved Superman by taking away um, Doomsday in the fight in Action Comics. But um, from what I'm reading in the solicitations, it doesn't sound like he's a good guy. And then there was one solicitation where it actually said it was for an action comics coming up. It's going to have a lenticulated cover. I don't know the number. And um, it said, like, uh, Mr. Oz's uh, – I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. But it said, like, Mr. Oz's identity will rock the last son of Krypton to his core or something like that. Yeah. So it's got to be somebody Superman knows. And I thought it was odd that they – Use the phrase "last son of Krypton." Now, maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Maybe who was ever writing that copy was just like, "I've used Superman three times and Man of Steel five. I need something else. What else do we call this guy? Oh, last son of Krypton." <laughs> but I was reading in saying, "Well, why would they use last son of Krypton unless this is somebody connected to Krypton somehow and somebody powerful?" So then I was thinking, "Well, who would rock his that?" And I was thinking, "Well, maybe his." father Jorel, maybe it's Jorel or maybe Jorel from like an alternate universe somehow because i have a feeling a lot of this is going to play out with multiverse stuff with the watchmen being in one universe and all that so if i had a bet i would say some kind of Jorel for mr oz and, and 
some kind of, somehow he's a villain, but he thinks he's the good guy. Like he thinks he's saving people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's got me really intrigued. They've done a great job at getting my curiosity and, and getting me to buy these comics. There is another theory out there that I'm starting to lean towards, and I'm going to get the crises confused. Maybe you can help me. Which is the one where Superboy Prime punches reality that brings Jason Todd? Was that Identity or Infinite? Infinite Crisis. Yeah. Oh, the theory is that Superboy Prime hated the universe so much that he broke the reality and fractured all this stuff. So if the DC current rebirth characters are missing 10 years of their life and their time, people are thinking that Oz could be Superboy Prime, that they want to pull a bait and switch and make you think Dr. Manhattan took all this time from reality that it could be Superboy Prime instead. And that would tie in Jeff Johns' previous writing. I could see that because for a while, that's how DC explained any inconsistencies that Superboy Prime punched the wall of the universe (laughs) and caused it to happen. And I can't even remember the last time Superboy Prime was seen in the DC universe. And for some reason, I feel like it was before New 52. I don't remember seeing him in New 52. And I do remember like the, the last time I saw him. And if I wish I could see it, and maybe he's been in here before this, but he was like on a different universe. I think actually on our Earth. I think he was supposed to be on our Earth, and he was looking at like comic books of what was going on in like Blackest Night or something like that. And he was all angry about the comic book, but he was like trapped. Like they were saying, like he was trapped on our world. So, and Jeff Johns has written a lot of. That's Superboy Prime stuff. And he had him, as I think, in the Green Lantern Corps or something. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Jeff Johns wrote that Infinite Crisis as well. So if Jeff Johns is a big part of it, I definitely would put uh, favorable odds on Superboy Prime being either in that cell or something that – yeah, or being Mr. Oz. But it's kind of weird. Why would he be called Mr. Oz? Uh, and But – who knows? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it'll probably some off the cuff um, remark like, oh, that's why they called him Oz. Yeah. So. We're sending you back to the future. I had said that, you know, I've been reading DC Comics solicitations before I'd even heard what a solicitation was. They used to come out in like a little, little free book you'd get at the comic store in the, in the 80s and 90s called DC um, Direct Currents. I don't know. Did you ever get that? Do you yep. remember that little yep. book? And I would sit there. I would read every single solicitation over and over. Even books I didn't read or, or get, I would read it just to know what was going on. And it's where I learned about a lot of this stuff. And it would make me, make me buy a lot of books. In fact, sidebar, my first Superman book that I really was like, I got to buy this, turned out to be the, the, the origins of the Eradicator, just because I had read in direct currents this story of <laughs> these astronauts going through cosmic rays or something and getting superpowers. I'm like, that's such a great idea. I, this is so cool. I got to buy this book. And having no idea it was a Fantastic Four ripoff <laughs> and, and whatever they call that when it's, when it's a, like a direct ripoff, but they're ripping them off on purpose. No idea. Later on, when I read the Fantastic Four, and I was like, oh, okay, I see it. And then one of those astronauts turned out to be Hank Henshaw, who turned out to be the Eradicator, which yep. turned out to be a fairly valuable book at one point. But, um, but anyway, so I've been reading these solicitations for decades. And in 
the solicitation for the latest action comics, I'm not sure which number, but it's the one where Oz's identity is revealed. It, it's had this, the sentence, it says, this will shake the last son of Krypton to his core. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's such an odd phrasing to refer to Superman as the last son of Krypton like this. That's not something you normally see in a solicitation. And it gave me a clue that Mr. Oz was somehow in some way connected to Krypton or Kryptonian for them to make that statement. And um, the, the, the most famous Kryptonian that could possibly – be shaking Superman to his core would be his father, Jor-El. So that was my guess. And I said that somewhere and you gave me credit on your YouTube channel. I heard you say that when you were doing your uh, Batman Day haul. And I was yeah. like, hey, one person, one person's giving me credit. So I had guessed Jor-El for a while now. And so um, I, I thought it was a cool twist. And I think it's a cool Mr. Oz. And now that we're getting into it, Mr. Oz is I guess the prisoner that Tim Drake said has escaped and someone else had imprisoned them there, but now has lost interest in the prison. And I've noticed in Lonely Place of Living, a lot of times before they revealed in that book that it was Jor-El, his eyes were glowing red, like a Kryptonian, like Superman. And I'd like to go back and see if his eyes glow red in other books leading up to this as sort of like a nod to the heat vision. Uh, but that was my my number one guest. And if it wasn't Jor-El, I was thinking it was someone else who was Kryptonian. Yeah. Maybe those those famous Kryptonians, I can't think of their names, but they were in um, All-Star Superman who come to Earth or, or something like that. Yeah. But uh, what, was your, what was your guess? I don't remember. Uh, my guess would have been Superboy Prime. That's right. Um, That's I think. Right. And I'm looking at, I have the original art from Superman uh, 18 from uh, Patrick Gleason. It's the one where Tim's pounding on the cell. Someone got out. Someone got out. Um, and the picture of Mr. Oz, his eye is glowing red. Well, it's the it's the pencil, oh, cool. but, but um, his eye is red in that. So uh, good, good pull on that one, Terrence. Um, yeah, and you have the original art there to reference. How yeah, cool I, I, is that? I'm, yeah, I'm looking at it, looking at it right now. So. Um, that way I don't have to pull. <laughs> and the other person in the cell, there's uh, Doomsday is – it's a you know panel of Oz. Then you get a panel of Oz walking away, a uh, panel of Doomsday, a panel of somebody with their head on fire. I think that's Brimstone, and I don't remember in Rebirth where he was or how he got captured. And then it's the little panel of Tim you know, pounded on the glass. Mm-hmm. So then – the other guess we had was who who do we think is in the cell with Tim or who who could possibly be? You know, there was the, the Connor Kents, the Bart Allens, the Cassie. I said the future Tim Drake from uh, the New 52 when he became Batman Beyond uh, after Terry McGinnis came back, Tim went on his motorcycle and drove off into the sunset and boom, he vanished. So I said I, I would think that Tim's going to find himself there somehow somewhere and that was the oh no that that can't be it's impossible or something like that but i was kind of sort of technically correct it's just a different version of tim so the uh, 2005 titans of tomorrow uh tim drake batman i did not see that coming a mile away yeah what what did you think yeah you you were on this when you had mentioned the uh, future tim drake i just didn't think that have two tim drakes running around i had thought 
in wherever we had that conversation and wherever <laughs> that went to, uh, that it was would have been Flashpoint Thomas Wayne yeah. as Batman. Yeah, you, you nailed it. And in reading in Newsarama, I had a really great interview with James Tinian, the fourth, and um, he had said that that was Jeff Johns' idea, that mm. Jeff Johns had mentioned to him to use that. And, and James Tinian in the interview talks about how uh, Jeff Johns' Teen Titans run, which, to be honest, it might get me kicked off the podcast. I have not read. I have got to get that and read that. But how that is what made him a Tim Drake fan, and that is what made him a huge DC Comics fan. And so from the start, it sounds really intriguing. I really like where they're going with it. The fact that Jeff Johns is in on this and he's like the head guru and he's got this whole doomsday clock thing means to me that you know Tim Drake is going to be a huge part of – this whole central DC universe story. Uh, I know I had to talk you off the ledge when Tim <laughs> disappeared. Uh, so, and I'm like, you know, he's got, he's got to be a big part. So I think there's big things for Tim Drake. And what's odd is they're, they're kind of hinting that he may die again or disappear or something. And if you read the December solicitations, there's no mention of Tim Drake at all anywhere, yeah. which to me means he's there they're purposely leaving him out to try to make you think. So, like to me, that's like that's like the red flag of he's there. They're you know like they're right. doing this to try to psych you out. But uh, January solicitation should be coming out uh, fairly soon, I guess. But um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to reading those Teen Titans issues, and I'm looking forward to to seeing how all this plays out because I guess in the interview, James Tinian basically said that it's a much darker, grimmer version of uh tim drake and he's using guns and so the young tim drake does not want to become this but in order to not become it he's got to affect the present in some way that is disastrous and he may have to allow himself to become that in order to save people in the present and so it's really interesting and you know whatever it is they thought long and hard about it and have been working really hard on it and it's really well thought out it's not just some last minute hey let's throw this together and see if people like it kind of thing so so i'm excited because i think it's going to be some really great storytelling yeah, I've been slowly reading some of the Titans. I read the first volume of Jeff Johns, and this particular version, if you can find I found this in a, a half-price bookshop. You can probably find it on Amazon really cheap. It's uh, Teen Titans, The Future Is Now. It's This is volume four. And then the other big thing was in the interviews and is evident in Lonely Place of Living, and I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, Rob, yeah. for, for doing this, but... Tim Drake's origin was rebooted horribly by Scott Lobdell, who some Tim Drake fans see as public enemy number one. You need a lobotomy for Lobdell just to get that out of my brain. A lobdellomy. Yeah. And so uh, cover date, November 2012, Teen Titans issue zero is a rebooted Tim Drake origin, which is very, very different from what. His origin was from year three and Lonely Place of Dying and the issues after that. I had put up today, which is September 30th when we record this, like a quick 15-minute review of Teen Titans Zero on the YouTube channel Mm, and just kind of went over the differences that were in the updated New 52 
origin compared to the traditional pre New 52 origin and how much I hated them. And and, and let, let's not get into it, but there was just a lot of changes to just make a change. Like, hey, this, yeah. let's just do this different. Let's do different. And there were a lot of changes that destroyed the heart of the character of Tim Drake. And it just did not go well with a lot of the fans and so it looks like that zero issue never happened like i I said in the the review um dr manhattan was reading the zero issue he got so angry he he used his powers to retcon everything and create james tinney in the fourth to uh fix everything but so (laughs) so for tim drake fans it looks like we are going back to the traditional lonely place of dying origin for tim drake which is a much better origin it's just a much better story than teen titan zero on every level whatsoever uh the only question we have i guess and maybe this will come out in lonely place of living is what is the status of tim drake's parents Mm. uh and i'm hoping that they're still alive that's that was the only thing i liked about the, the new origin was that both his parents were alive. Yeah. I hated, hated, hated Identity Crisis and them killing Jack Drake the way they did. I thought that was cheap. I thought that if, you know, this guy, Metzler, who wrote it, had only, like, never, didn't write comics. And this was, I, I, there's a lot about that series I, I do not like. And that was one of them. You know, if anyone had the right to do that, it was Chuck Dixon and Denny O'Neill. And I also, even from the beginning, I didn't like that Tim Drake's mom died right away. It's like, oh, you're a hero. Now your parents have to die, like cliche. So I'm hoping that we'll see what's the status of. The Drakes, and I'm hoping they're in the witness relocation program or, or hidden or something, because I think that would be cool going in the future, seeing the relationship with Tim and his parents and not just see him brooding over a gravestone every <laughs> couple of issues. What did you have? Well, I, I know how you feel, but <laughs> what do you want to say about the new origin being the old origin? Um, real quick, I can't remember if you were on this episode or not. Uh, episode 16 of this show uh, it's the Future's End issue or episode we did, uh, where we cover uh, Teen Titans Zero, Secret Origins issue three, and then Batman Zero that had to deal with uh, Tim Drake's New 52 origin. I think it was right after um, Sherry, you said you were up to 15 at one point, so she's probably already uh, heard this already. Yeah, right. and I was not. I was not on that episode. I was not on. Yeah, that's right. Because we had just you were on episode 15. It was. Uh, the end of uh, Robin one and then going into very first, you know, night out with uh, Tim Drake as Robin and with Batman. But anyway, there were parts of it that I just, I hated the new 52. Uh, Technically Tim Drake was never his real name. The new 52, he took his middle name as Timothy and moved it to his first name. So, and, and like witness protection, you have to come up with a new identity. So he could have been Joe Timothy Smith for all we knew in the new 52. So, and that's something that uh, Tiny had said in the interview that he he knew that just like with Rebirth, he had to bring the character back to uh, his core, and uh, I think he did it wonderfully. And I don't want to you know go down the road too much because we're not even to the <laughs> books we want to talk about yet, and we're going to cover all of this. But this made me happy as a Tim Drake fan. I think anybody that's a, a fan of Tim Drake is happy that he's back. Uh, it'd be kind of fitting if his mother would would still be gone that he would at least get his dad back um i kind of hope the whole witness protection thing is is gone it's it's not a thing there'd be no need uh for that so i I don't know it'd be interesting to see how 
how this all plays out uh, by the end of Lonely Place of Living. So I'll keep my comments short and sweet so we can uh, move forward. Uh, do you have anything else on Lonely Place of Living you want to uh, want to get out? Yeah, no, other than episode 16, looks like it was a solo show. It looks okay. like it was just you. And in fact, somehow I I don't think I ever listened to it. So I'm going to have to listen to that today. And I'm unfamiliar with that secret origins. And I, I'm very curious to you're you're kind of a positive guy. So I'm sure you're trying to put a positive spin on everything in Teen Titans Zero. <laughs> but yeah. I would love love to like have a have you have a couple beers or something and get our truth elixir and just hear you go <laughs> off on episode zero. We should probably maybe re-record that with just like now that like you don't have to be nice to about it you can just <laughs> let your true feelings uh show and then um I, I just so you know on the the youtube channel my uh review of episode uh episode of issue zero of teen titans ended with me saying if anyone would like to have a party where we could get together and burn our issues leave a comment below <laughs> so that that's how i feel about it although the artwork is actually good the artwork is good that's the only good thing about it it's, it's just a great time to be a tim drake fan right yeah. Yeah. now and 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 see like the classic tim drake coming back and i've seen a couple calls i think travis who's a, a good fan of ours uh, always kind of comments on stuff on uh facebook and maybe even evan ocasio and maybe a couple other people i think ashton andrew i'm trying to think of some of the people travis donovan christopher they've they've all got al anthony yeah. um, kind of there's this general consensus of people Especially people who who, who follow the uh, Red Robin fan page with uh, Ashley want Tim Drake to have his own book, yeah. uh, Tim Drake solo book, and I I feel like that's where we're heading. I mean, if Batwoman got her own book spinning out of Detective Comics, I I, I feel like there's going to be some kind of big Tim Drake, Red Robin or something book coming out, and and that is really awesome. I can't wait for that. Yeah, same here. Well, I think this is where we'll put a pin in the Lonely Place of Living discussion. I know we could talk so much more, but we want to give you guys a chance to read the whole thing, us to read it, and then put all our thoughts together and really do a big show for it. So normally I don't say the music that's going to come up, but I knew since we were doing Prodigal, I'm thinking, what song could I put in here for Prodigal? A band that I like a lot is Seven Dust, and they have a song called Prodigal Son. So to segue into our discussion for the prodigal you can hear a little bit of seven dust singing a song called prodigal son and when on the other side we'll come back and talk about the first uh, few issues of batman prodigal see you on the other side
All right. Uh, that was uh, my good friend Seven Dust. So um, normally I don't even put up, you know, who who does the songs or whatever. I'm like, eh, if you if you like it, you'll ask. If not, and sometimes there'll be music, sometimes there's not. I think there were a couple comments that were like, I like to Rob put music in, so I'm trying to do uh, a little bit of that. All right, before we continue, let's take a look at the information of these three comics here real quick. Uh, we're going to use the uh, wonderful resource, Mike's Amazing World. Uh, it's a great resource if you want to find out who did what, who wrote what, who colored what. Uh, so the three books we're looking at today, the first book we're going to be looking at today is Batman 512. Uh, had a cover date of November 1994. The on-sale date is September 13th, 1994. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. Title is Robin and Batman. Uh, writer is Doug Mensch. Penciler is Mike Gustunovich. I love these names. Uh, inker, uh, Romeo Tangal. <laughs> Letters, uh, Ken uh, Bruns- Brunsniak. And the colorist is Adrian Roy. Batman, The Shadow of the Bat, number 32, had a cover date of uh, November, November 1994. The on-sale date is November 20th, 1994. Again, the editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. Uh, no title in this one, and uh, sometimes Shadow of the Bat has a title, but typically they don't for whatever reason. The writer, Alan Grant, uh, artist is Brett uh, Blevins. Letter is Todd Clean. Colorist is Adrian Roy. And then the final book for today is going to be Detective Comics 679. Had a cover date, again, of November 1994. The on-sale date is September 27th, 1994. The editor on this one is Scott Peterson. Uh, the title for this one is The Vermin Factor. The writer is Chuck Dixon. The penciler is Lee Weeks. The inker is uh, Jeffs, if I'm saying that right, Rubenstein. The colorist is John Costanza. Or excuse me, the letter is John Costanza, and the colorist is Adrian Roy. And a lot of these have been collected in various uh, Batman uh, prodigal uh, trades. Uh, the only one had like one printing in 1998. And then the most uh, recent up to this point is uh, Batman Nightfall trade paperback that came out in 2002. But recently, the uh, Robin Tim Drake solo series is getting reprinted, and uh, Prodigal happens to be in uh, the Robin uh, trade that just recently came out. I think it's volume four, but don't quote me on that. Is uh, I haven't uh, actually seen the full solicitation, but I think it is uh, in volume four. So let's go back to the show. So we're taking a look at uh, Batman 512, uh, Prodigal Part 1, uh, by uh, Mench. And man, these names are always so horrible. <laughs> Gustin, yeah. you know, not going to pronounce that name. <laughs> So you can read the names there on the bottom. Uh, this is a really cool uh, cover. Killer Croc looks amazing uh, on this shot. And kind of to show you the size uh, of this, uh, it's really kind of funny. It appears in a couple issues later uh, with the rats on the side and a very small and uh, tiny-looking uh, Dick Grayson uh, Batman. What do you think of this cover uh, to 512? Yeah, it's great cover. In fact, our good buddy Rich, when when uh, about two months ago or something, I, I we we're sending messages back and forth, and I messaged him about how we were going to do Prodigal, and he's like, "Oh man, that's the one with like that giant Killer Croc uh, mm. cover where it's like lit in the sewer, and and like so like when I said Prodigal, like the first thing that popped in his mind was this cover, and I, I had mentioned before." on the podcast that killer croc is one of the most varied artistically villains that in batman comics oh, like yeah. if you pulled you know two decades of batman comics you know 
some of the characters, you know, the penguin looks like the penguin, but Killer Croc has looked like all different things and gray and green and huge. And, uh, and so, but this, I, I kind of like, this is kind of like the Nightfall Killer Croc. Mm-hmm. It actually looks a lot like the Suicide Squad Killer Croc. It just maybe a little, little bit bigger. But I uh, love the way it's lit from underneath with the flashlight and in the sewers and uh, just just a great cover. Yeah, this this is an awesome cover. Uh, we had talked about this on, I shouldn't say the previous podcast, but in the real-time continuity, I guess, if you will, from the Zero uh, Robin issue that uh, you had said that the dialogue is pretty much the same getting into the, uh, the body of this prodigal part, part one. I love the Batman logo. It says Robin and uh, Batman, which I thought it was a nice little uh, nod to the original Batman logo, but instead of Batman on top, it's the Robin. I think that's pretty cool. But the dialogue um, is essentially the same from uh, the Robin Zero issue with uh, Bruce stepping out and Dick taking over. Um, I kind of want to get this out right at the very beginning. My Other than the book kind of going through Batman, Shadow of the Bat, Detective uh, Robin, I think those are the four books that... Uh, the story travels through. Uh, the art kind of changes from person to person. If you didn't tell me that this was Dick Grayson as Batman, the art really doesn't depict any difference between Bruce and Dick at all. Uh, even in the Batman Reborn, when Damien was uh, Dick's Robin, the only thing that was different was the belt. Uh, they didn't really give Dick a different costume in this at all. And I wonder if that was part to... We had Azrael and all these crazy costumes at the very end. If the editors were like, okay, people want to see a traditional Batman. If I thought it had been cool here to do without the oval on it, I'm probably being really nitpicky, but I always think the face in Prodigal looks like whoever's drawing the book is like, this is how he always draws Batman. That's, you know, there isn't like a little slimmer build to Dick Grayson as Batman. I know we're in the very first page. But I kind of wanted to get that out, that that's going to be my criticism all the way through of other than I really enjoyed this first issue. So did you have any issues or were you just glad to see uh, Dick Grayson as Batman and you really didn't care how he looked? Oh, my God. We're on the first page and already you're crapping all over I... the story that I love. Uh, <laughs> well, the the. Yeah, that is definitely something that kind of jumps out at you at, that the artistic wise, you, you, they look exactly the same. The thing is, if you were reading this in real time, like I was, and then was kind of again to, for the podcast, mm-hmm. you've seen, you haven't seen this Batman in so long. You've seen right. Azbats for a good part of a, a, a year, year, a year and a yeah. half or so. So it, it, even though it does have that, yeah, he, he looks exactly the same. You're just kind of happy to see it back and see him teamed up with Robin again. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really bother me. And my feeling would be it's in real life. If this was real life, Dick Grayson would deliberately be trying to make himself look like Bruce Wayne, the original right. Batman in every way to try to make it appear as if the old guy's back. Although and I do like in the series how um, Commissioner Gordon is not fooled by it. That that right. is cool. And um, I think I had told you, and, and this is on our um, our sister podcast, uh, Batman and Robin Eternal Podcast, Volume Two. How much I love Prodigal, and hadn't read it in pff, probably fifteen years, maybe or uh, maybe even twenty. 
and was wor- a little worried about going back. Like, oh, does it hold up? Like I, I thought I did because of this time period, Nightfall, Night Quest, you know, all that. I always thought Prodigal is what I liked the most. Prodigal was so great. And um, it does hold up for me. Having reread it recently, I think it's fantastic. I think because I've read all this Jean-Paul Valley stuff, it's the same feeling of like, all right, it's Batman again. And I, I, I had forgotten, but I could was shocked at just how much Tim Drake is in this story. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like every single issue, whether it's the Robin C- series or Batman or Detective or Shadow of the Bat, Tim Drake's. Uh, you know, it's like co-characters like this, like the logo says Robin and Batman. And in a lot of ways, Tim Drake is in sort of the Batman role of like mentoring Dick Grayson in it. And Dick Grayson's the one who's kind of like, ah, I don't know if I can do this. And Tim is the one saying, yeah, no, you can do this. You're you know, you got this. And and like the exuberance of like, yeah, Batman and Robin are back again is is what you see. Yeah, out of Tim is what you what you feel as a reader. So once again, you're very much like Tim Drake is the eyes and ears that you are reading and seeing this story through. So, um, man, we talk a lot for the first page. <laughs> We're on page one. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, yeah, we'll go through a quick. We'll go through a quick. We're like, you know, hour later, we're like, all right, page two. two. Has, you know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, did you read this real time as it came out or did you come to it after? No, uh, I, I came into this real time. And and that's where, you know, I was nitpicking on, on the costume. I love I absolutely love Prodigal. And we talked about it on the podcast. I was afraid because it's been about 15 years, like you said, since I read it last. And I was really chomping at the bit to get to this point, uh, even more so than Nightfall, that like I hope this is as good as I remembered it. I think with everything with Rebirth and then uh, just the excitement for this, I was like, yeah, this this tastes like that wonderful dessert you ate that one time and go, oh, I haven't had this in years. I hope, or maybe that restaurant, I'm like, I hope the food, food is still good there. So yeah, yeah and- I love oh, this. Go ahead. Yeah, and to to comment on your costume story, I I do think there was a little bit of let's make Dick Grayson look as much as the traditional Jim Aparo 80s Batman because the storyline directly after this, if I'm saying it right, is a four-part story called Troika. And in that, they changed Batman's costume and to where he no longer had like the underwear on the outside and it was all black with the with the the oval um and they even had the covers like slowly getting it's like the same image of batman like standing with his arms and fists mm-hmm. but it kept getting darker and darker until batman 515 which is completely black you can't even see it and they charge 250 they charge you extra for right. the black cover and I, it kind of turned out to be a little bit of hype and a bust because the cape is used so much and there's so much shadowing and coloring that you never really quite noticed the difference but i think they intended this change in the suit to be more dramatic than it was so i I do feel like dick grace that's one of the reasons why dick grayson in here looks so much like 80s aparo batman because i think the intention was that there'd be a more dramatic change coming when Bruce came back as Batman. Although artwork wise, it didn't quite kind of live up to it. Right. Uh, Well, since we talk so much over the first page, we're going to totally skip the rest of this book and go right into (laughs) it. Just to kind of go through, we've uh, had Killer Croc. uh, The first time we've seen him after his arm was broken by Bane after getting flushed in the sewer, which was the last time Tim had been in contact with Killer Croc since he was down in the sewer with Bane and, 
uh, Killer Croc both. And he has a nice little meal before <laughs> before, yeah. before he swims away. And that's something with Killer Croc, that he's always going right for the jugular and everything like that. Um, something that I had forgotten uh, going into page five is I forgot that Alfred isn't back yet. It's actually Dick who goes to London and brings Alfred back. So we spend a little bit uh, with Dick and Tim kind of in Wayne Manor. Uh, now that nightfall has settled and Dick kind of, you know, going through that Wayne Manor used to be such a, a, a bustling place. And there were people and dinner parties and Dick would always be watching from the top of the stairs. And Wayne Manor's still kind of in shambles a little bit. You know, there's Tim going, oh, I miss Alfred. You know, like, oh, you can cook. You know, and Dick's like, oh, yeah, I can cook and had an apartment by himself. So I thought this was a nice little section. It also shows how how much Dick has grown as a character. You know, he hasn't had a butler. He's having to not only be Batman, but he's got to be man of the house. And even though he's being a mentor to Tim, he's, he's still kind of rustling, you know, with some things. So what'd you think of this little section here? Yeah. The killer croc stuff was cool. It looks like he's got like casts or bandages on his arms yeah. from the nightfall um, beating he took from Bane, which I thought was pretty cool. There's a, a flashback scene with Dick where he's like thinking about like a, uh, hiding behind the stairs, which I used to do that as a kid, you know, he like hide in the stairs and listen mm. to the adult conversation and he gets caught by Alfred. And I, that's really great to show like what Alfred meant to him as a kid, but also those panels could have been right out of year three. Like I, I thought it was it, a real good tie back to that whole um, lonely place of dying in year three origin with Tim Drake and all. So, so yeah, I really like that. Um, so we had to get a little recap in 10 of the sewer uh, battle with Bane and Killer Croc where uh, Tim witnesses everything. I feel like right away that they kind of already know it's Killer Croc, but they it, it's written in a way that it makes you feel like, well, they're not entirely sure, but they kind of think it's Killer Croc. So I, I feel like these uh, first few issues are kind of like really cool one-and-done stories that kind of tie everything together. You know, I like how on page 12 that uh, Batman and Robin borrow from dad from Wayne Enterprises, uh, you know, Marina division and use like a, a bat, a Wayne boat instead of a bat boat, which I kind of thought was odd that uh, they wouldn't be using a bat boat, but we'll take this bright red boat out as Batman and Robin. And then we get another little recap on 14 of in the back of Dick's mind. Uh, we have kind of the zero issue story of uh, Dick recounting his first confrontation with Two-Face, which will play uh, as the underlining major story of Prodigal. So we get another uh, look at that here. So what do you think about these uh, first few sections of Killer Croc kind of going on the rampage and Batman and Robin uh, tracking Croc down? Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's almost like Dick Grayson, since he's been out of the Batcave and um, being Nightwing with the Titans, doesn't really even know who Killer Croc is. Yeah. And looking it up, uh, Killer Croc was was a fairly new Batman villain at this time. This is you know coming out in '94, and it said Croc uh, made his first appearance in '83. So he would have only been around for about 11 years, and I don't think he was used that that much. Like now, he's become one of the the mainstays, and he was used you know really well on the animated series, which really kind of. Uh, thrust him into the spotlight and in the Legos uh, games and, and things like that. He's been used a lot. And, and now in Suicide Squad and in the Arkham games, he's, you know, one of the, the the top guys. But at the time, I don't 
I don't I'd have I'd like to go back and get a list of his appearances. I don't think he was in too many Batman books between 83 and 94. Yeah. Uh, so so it's kind of a cool kind of a cool thing that like Dick's catching up on the time that he missed. And yeah, this is kind of cool. I like Croc being just kind of a a, a bloodthirsty monster here, just like going for the jugular and <laughs> and and killing people in the midst of all this. There's also a, a little callback to the zero issue we we did with ryan where dick was robin and batman and what was it the police commission not the police commissioner but the the somebody was yeah were, were being hung and two-face um made him decide between which one which then ryan had looked up and and found that was part of a a, a storyline that chuck dixon did. Was, was that robin year one that he did or something like that yeah Rob, so, robin in year one yep yeah, so you could see even though uh, this this story was written by Doug Monch, there was definitely probably a lot of talk of that going around in the uh, editorial room, and, and they're setting things up for even later. So so that I thought was pretty cool. And I like how Dick plays that he knows exactly what Croc is talking about. I'm sure uh, Dick's going into this fight going, I have no idea what he's talking about, but apparently Bane and Croc had this fight, and I just like how uh, Munch plays with uh dick and uh killer crocs reaction back and forth to one another that dick's got to be keeping up on his feet so he doesn't act like i don't know what you're talking about because in fact batman would so i thought that was a nice little bit of dialogue it's basically a lot of uh punch and run out through the uh, rest of the issue here where at one point it looks like uh croc gets the upper hand on uh Dick, but uh, thanks to some uh, fancy footwork, literally, by uh, Tim and uh, Dick, they're able to get Croc uh, wound up in the net and um, look like he, uh, somebody did get a couple shots at Killer Croc through the uh, net that he was in. So they've got to get an ambulance and everything like that. So I think for the very first uh, fight for that Dick had as Batman, I think he's got is realizing he's got a lot of homework that he's going to need and why Robin is really important to him right now that these villains that Dick's coming up with for the very first time, the only reference that he has is uh, his partner, which like we were saying in the beginning is it their re- role is reversed. You know, Batman's the lead, but Dick's really having to lean on Tim for a lot of emotional support and that you can do this. And I thought that just was really cool. So uh, that's, all of issue uh, one, you have any uh, thoughts for uh, the ending of issue one there? Well, describing it, you said Croc gets the upper hand on Dick. Oh, let's, I let's did. Keep this P- let's keep this PG here, buddy. Yes. Let's keep- <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but no, I like the fight sequence because both Batman and Robin are pretty uh, skilled in the fighting. There's none of that. There's no like, oh, Robin messes up and come save me, Batman, or anything like that. Like they both – take down the guys pretty good. And even when Croc gets the upper hand on Batman (laughs) and is squeezing the life out of him, Batman saves himself. Like he boxes his ears and saves himself. So the, um, it's not like a, you know, come save me or anything like that. It's like, there's a struggle, but they get out of it. And in the midst of the fighting, are you, are you reading this in trade paperback or in the floppies? No, I'm reading in the floppies. So in between pages uh, 20 and 21, there's a cool DC Universe co- comics coloring demystified. Do you see that with uh, yes. the of uh, Robin one? Yeah, that is that is really cool. We need to like take a uh, a scan of that and put it on the the uh, Facebook page or something. But that is really cool about how all, all that goes into you know just coloring it and stuff. That that's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. 
And then the ending, the 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 last page has got some more of that Gordon stuff that we were talking about. How he's very skeptical. Yeah. There, did you ever watch the TV show Weird Science? Yeah. On the, the back cover. Yeah, that show. That that is a girl from um, what you call it, uh, Kingpin. Did you ever see that movie? Yes. Yep. Yeah, she's she's amazing looking. Because I I saw the thing. The guys who did Kingpin, they they watched Weird Science, and they're just like, we've got to make a movie with her. So that was the whole. <laughs> reason for the movie so yeah that was quite a lustful teenage night watching that (laughs) oh well memory lane so all right let's move into our second book batman shadow of the bat prodigal part two terrence why don't you take us uh away with this one yeah you know what's kind of weird about this is it's a uh the cover is like a two-part cover with two-face so if you have prodigal part six and put them together, it makes one big cover with uh, half of Harvey Dent and Batman on um, 32, and then Tim Drake Robin and, you know, the Two-Face side, or Big Bad Harv on 33, uh, and the coin. But it's kind of weird that they're not consecutive parts in the the story of Prodigal, but consecutive issues in the book so it's just kind of a a weird thing but um not that not that big a deal and then shadow of the bat always opens up with um like a a, a cover page i guess you'd call it, or a title page i guess yeah. you call it which i don't know if that was just their way of like not ha- not having to do an extra page for the book or anything because i don't think there's like less stuff but maybe maybe it's because their letter column sometimes was only one page long so, Rob, I, I've gone over the cover and the title page. Why don't you give us your impression of the title and cover page and take it from there? <laughs> uh, I, my my note was the same that you had with the uh, the cover. Uh, Scarface is one of those, as we're getting into the story, I, I knew he was in the story, but I guess I didn't realize where he was. So, like, early on, I was like, ah, oh, Scarface. And, I mean, I like the character. It can be done well. I like Scarface more when Chuck Dixon is doing something with Scarface. But, again, I don't want to crap on the story. This is probably the weakest book in Prodigal for me, just because it's so Scarface heavy. I love the stuff with uh, Two-Face in this. Um, I'm not trying to skip out of Two-Face. You know, he wants to be the, the big bad boss, and, you know, he's going to corkscrew somebody to death, which I thought was really kind of gruesome. But I do like the way Scarface is played, where people know, like, uh, if I had a puppet on my hand, they'd be looking at me going, Rob, you have a stupid puppet on your hand. And the Scarface is so convincing, like, no, look at me. I'm the one you're looking to, not this dummy back here. And then Joe Close is like, oh, that's right, Scarface. You know, I'm hearing yeah. the animated series. I like that version of Scarface more than I do in the comics, I think. I found the Scarface stuff less interesting. The things that I liked are, you know, Two-Face. Uh, you know, it's time for, like, their their parole hearing or, you know, we're moving stuff. They even make mention of, you know, wanting to get the paperwork. We, we need some computers. And uh, we've got... Uh, Dick and Tim kind of sweeping up the cleaning that hasn't been done in a Wayne manner. But the thing I think is really interesting out of here is how Two-Face gets out of jail. Uh, a clerical error. They're calling for Kent Harvey. You know, Harvey Kent. And he's like, yeah, I'm Harvey Kent. I'm like, all right, <laughs> dude, why don't you get out? <laughs> and that's it. That's there's, there's no major break. There's no nothing going on. It's Two-Face gets to walk right out the front door and gets to do... 
uh, pretty much whatever he, uh, he needs. So, uh, we'll, we'll spare the, uh, Scarface portion, <laughs> unless you want to get into a little bit of Scarface. But, uh, what do you think of this is really setting up, uh, Two Faces, a major part coming up, uh, in a few issues, but this is him getting out. What'd you think of all that? Yeah, you know, the Scarface stuff is always weird because I think eventually they start to make, try to make it seem that he was carved from like, uh, wood that was like cursed or magic yeah. and that maybe he does have like powers and it's not just the ventriloquist who's psycho and, and all this other stuff. And then there was a female ventriloquist. It gets really confusing and muddled and everything like that. So as I read it too, I'm still kind of like, well, is it just a, uh, a sad, crazy guy who's throwing his voice or is there some kind of mystical thing going on or or what what's that? And I, I do like the um, the cleanup and I, you get the sense with with Tim that he's just like thrilled to be hanging out with Dick Grayson. Like this is a yeah. guy who he idolized. You know, he, he, he rode his little bike to the circus to find him. He knows he was Robin. Plus, he's just a cool guy. Plus, he's the older guy. Like, you know what it's like when you're 15 and you get to hang out with like someone who's like 18 or 19, who's like a cool dude. Like, you're just like, I don't care. What are we doing? Sweeping, eating a banana here. Like, I, this is <laughs> awesome. Like, I'm, I, you know, like, it, like there's even Tim's like bicycle out in front of uh, Wayne, Wayne Manor there. Uh, that's so cool. Um, You just, you don't care what it is. Like, it's cool just to be hanging out. And, uh, you know, the Two-Face thing getting out of jail is a little ridiculous. But I think yeah. we've at this point we've seen like 80 billion jail breaks. It's kind of funny to just have like a clerical error. Like, yep, yep, that's me. And, and like the cops are just so overwhelmed and only in Gotham would they just be like, all right, go. You're you're free. You're free. Um, so I did kind of like that. I, I, it'd be annoying if that was they did that next issue and then the issue after that and the issue after that. But – just to have it like a one-time thing, uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And I like in uh, page eight where Dick and Tim are going down to the Batcave, and uh, Dick is reminiscing about you know these are the very same stairs. And this this I thought was interesting. Uh, so many nights, Bruce and I came down here these stairs together, and then Batman and Robin emerged from the bottom. So are are we to believe that Batman and Robin or Dick and Tim are walking through a certain part of the cave, and all of a sudden they turn into Batman and Robin? Do they? go off to the side of the steps dress like in the back of your mind as a kid you know batman and robin slide down the poles and instantly they're batman and robin but here it's like it's it's a little odd or is it just more of dick talking about this uh fantasiful you know image if they walk down as you know bruce and dick and then magically they're batman and robin so I thought that was interesting, but kind of like it's almost played like, no, this is what happens. So what do you think about their uh, quick uh, <laughs> change? Yeah, it seems more like an artistic license yeah. than an actual practical, like, they get changed going down the stairs. But, uh, yeah, I remember as a kid, the old Batman show with them sliding down the pole as, you know, Bruce and Dick and then coming down the pole as Batman and Robin and being in elementary school and kids like – drawing designs of how it would work and like these mechanical arms would come out and take their pants off and put their tights on and the cow would come on through gravity like people were like really <laughs> intense on that and my you know of course you ask an adult and they're like oh, they just cut the camera it's just you know it's a camera trick you're like what no it's <laughs> not you know but um yeah it, that to me seems a little more just for the artistic effect than an actual like practical effect but you know it's kind of cool I, I, I like Tim's enthusiasm of like just like the old days and and he's just all into it so it's kind of uh 
kind of impractical, but it's kind of cool in the same way. Yeah. The basic part for the rest of this story is about said Two-Face, is the ventriloquist going around to people that have wronged him. And, it's, and, and oh, sorry to interrupt, no. but before you get too further, just a little bit more with that, that Dick and Tim thing. So on the next page, page nine, after they come down the stairs, they ha- have that information on Vetch. And so they're just like, uh, well, who would do this or whatever? Like, let's ask the computer. Yeah. And they just type it in the computer and it comes up a ventriloquist and his dummy. Uh, and it, like it, it was funny because that was what I said in the zero issue was in your reading uh, in, in the book that you had with the Kool-Aid on it, the case of the laughing sphinx like it's just like let's just pop it in the computer and come up with these four and i'm like oh that's such a kid book and here it is in my favorite storyline prodigal and they do the same thing and once again it seems as if dick grayson has no idea who this guy is um because he even says i've been out of gotham too long so this is a new one to to him but uh, i just wanted to bring that up sorry to interrupt you oh no yeah i i completely forgot about that beat and this is if i remember correctly this is alan grant he had said that Coming into writing for Batman, he had a hard time writing like Penguin, Riddler, and Joker and the big classic ones. He felt like he was painted into a corner. So he just created a whole bunch of new villains like Anarchy, Ventriloquist, Mr. Zaz, so he could kind of write them the way that he would want to to write his stories rather than fit an already existing villain and try and make it fit. So this is clearly after Dick Grayson was Robin. So this, I think, works for me a little bit more than the Killer Croc, that Dick Grayson has had no affiliation with the ventriloquist at all. So I kind of like a Batman that knows he needs to be a step ahead but has no idea how to get there and is really uh, relying on Tim to get him there. Yeah, and he's an even newer character because his first appearance was 1988. Yeah. And these are books that are 94, so that's only a six-year gap. And in comic time, six years is what, like five months or so? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so Ventriloquist was really new at this time. And just to throw it out there, if anybody cares, when I looked up when Scarface's first appearance was, the that thing I was talking about with, like, the wood, it, it – um, he was introduced to as Woody, a dummy car from the remains of the former Blackgate Gallows. Mm-hmm. So that's where that whole cursed wood thing comes from and all that. So, yeah, who knows? <laughs> anyway, back to Prodigal. <laughs> Not trying to zip through this book, but it's Batman and Robin, thanks to the Batcomputer, doing their great detective work like, like it always does. Uh, they're able to find out that there was a double cross that uh, Scarface had set up to basically take out the competition. Uh, each one of them would take out each other. That Scarface put, uh, you know, had set some uh, grenades that the the rival gangs were throwing back and forth, and the two gangs are realizing that they've been uh, double crossed, and a big, a lot of death <laughs> happens in uh, yeah. these next few pages in Batman and Robin. Uh, a spot that I like in sixteen is seeing the fluidity of Dick Grayson. Uh, jumping in the middle of the panel as Batman doing some somersaults, which you don't typically see Batman doing that type of of movement as you know somebody that's been on the uh, trapeze. Batman's trying to find where uh, Whisker is, and Batman and Robin taken off. And the thing that I I like best about uh, page seventeen is him threatening the guy here, and then as Batman and Robin swing away. Dick, or Tim says that was a nice bluff. Jean Paul would have beaten it out of him. Dick just very says that's 
that's why he lost his job, that Jean-Paul didn't realize where the line was drawn, that Bruce would take it to that line and maybe even go one step farther. But Dick has seen Batman do this type of interrogation enough that he knows where to kind of press at the villain to get the information out of it and not go all the way. So that's kind of reminding us, the reader, where where the real Batman uh, should be uh, relying on. Yeah, and you know... Not to um, crap on the issue, but Brett Blevins is is not my favorite of the Batman artists, no. and I just think sometimes it's it's too th- his lines are too thick, and that his his bodies are too big and lumpy, and like even the the scene with Dick Grayson on um, page four sweeping, and right here on page seventeen, like you mentioned, like his arms and stuff, they're just just way too big and bulky for an acrobat for for what I would think of as Nightwing, and that gets back to what you were saying in the beginning about how. He's drawn a lot the same way as Bruce. Yeah. The end of this, I think, moves uh, rather quickly here. Uh, the ventriloquist is eventually captured by Batman and Robin. Uh, they're able to figure out uh, where the ventriloquist is uh, going. They get to uh, the whiskers. I'm, I always want to say viskers. Uh, he's about to get a corkscrew through the nose in 19 uh, when Batman and Robin uh, do break through. Uh, the ventriloquist ends up dropping Scarface as uh, Batman catches Scarface as he's trying to leave. I'm blanking here who ends up picking up uh, the ventriloquist dummy, but has instructions to go to a safe to get a book out, and it's to how to throw your voice. And the issue ends with Two-Face flipping his coin, uh, getting ready to get uh, destruction and anarchy going in uh, Gotham City. So what did you think about uh, Shadow of the Bat 32 being the second issue in Prodigal? Yeah, like you said, it's probably the weaker. I do think it's kind of a cool last two pages. You know, whatever I said about the art before, it is a really gruesome-looking, cool artwork of Two-Face's face on the last page. That That is really cool. And and I do like the idea of this big, dumb, like, uh, muscle guy, you know, like, finding the How to Throw Your Voice book and, and all that. And, like, like the ventriloquist will continue on. And I like I, – I prefer it not to be a cursed piece of wood and to just be, you know, like, the insanity of Gotham in people. But But overall – you know, I think the highlight for me, oddly enough, stands out is the scene with, uh, you know, Tim and, and Dick just kind of sweeping up and just like, you know, doing some good old male bonding and, and stuff like like that goes to like the heart of the characters. And it's kind of like the heart of the book. And and th- that's the kind of stuff that I like them prodigal. That's the kind of stuff that made me furious that they got rid of in the new 52, even though Dan DiDio and Jim Lee had promised the bat books would be, you know, the, the least messed with books, you know, they'd stay the most similar and then they were the most messed with books. <laughs> um, I'm glad that we're getting it back with lonely place of living. So, um, oh, I mean, overall to be the weakest link in a really strong chain is not that bad. So, That's right. You know. All right, so our last book for today is Detective Comics 679, uh, written by Chuck Dixon, art by uh, Lee Weeks, and uh, Rubenstein is, must be doing the uh, inks or letters. Let me look in here. Yeah, guest inker. And uh, Lee Weeks did the guest pencils. And my book has a wonderful signature by Lee Weeks. Does yours uh, have a signature by Lee Weeks? It does not. Did you meet him at a convention or something? <laughs> yeah, or? yeah I did. Okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, and I had put this down. I said, I, I love Prodigal, and he said he really was glad he got to do uh, part of Prodigal. I said, anytime I can do uh, 
draw Dick Grayson. He said, especially Dick Grayson as Batman was really pretty cool. So um, I'll, I'll put an image of this on the podcast so you can see uh, the sign book's really cool. So an image of the Rat Catcher. Um, this, to me, the Rat Catcher is Z-list Batman villain as you can get. But the funny thing about a Z-list Batman villain, sometimes a Z-list Batman villain is better than a Superman A villain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, uh, what do you think about the uh, cover here? I, I think it's a really cool image of uh, you know Batman leaping at the Rat Catcher. But I go Rat Catcher. This could have been Killer Moth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love this cover. Great cover. I love. Uh, just like the the brightness of the smoke and then the darkness on the sides and then Batman coming in. It's just a great cover. And uh, Lee Weeks, here's the uh, guest penciler. And, you know, he just did, which I, I really liked. And I, I heard the Batman on film guys talking, too, about how how great it was. The Batman Elmer Fudge special. Yeah. Uh, and that was really cool. And that that his artwork on that was really great, too. So uh, Lee Weeks stepping in here as the guest penciler. Uh, I really enjoyed his art. But, yeah, Rat Catcher's. Not only is he a Z-list, he's he's also like a, a copy of um, the Pied Piper from uh, the Flash Rogues Gallery. So yeah. he's, he's a Z-list copy of a Z-lister. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think the uh, Pied Piper may work better. I'm going to have to take, retract that statement. I think the Pied Piper may work better as the villain, the rat catcher. Yeah. Um, this whole parole opening for... The rat catcher. Do you have anything to say for yourself? Well, let me pull this, uh, you know, little flute I whittled out of shop class. Wouldn't you know that the rat catcher talks to rats and he probably does something like this? And you're going to allow him handcuffed to pull something out of his pocket? You think there, <laughs> yeah. there's two guards behind him? who's like, oh no, it's just a flute, Bob. Just just relax. He's going to play us a song. <laughs> so. Yeah, they got his legs cuffed, they got his hands cuffed, they got everything cuffed. But yeah, let him let him play a song. Yeah, it is a little, <laughs> it is a little weak. And there are a lot of rats that come very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I I do like the uh, Chuck does a really good job of uh, describing. You know, it's high pitched, it's a dull shrill through my skull, and the lady says she can feel it more than she can hear it. So. Apparently, this flute is deadly. I mean, he's no uh, Jethro Tull, but uh, <laughs> maybe this is where I'll insert a Jethro Tull, a little flute right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's a little weak in that Batman and Robin are are so worried about the rat catcher that they're hanging out by his parole window because they just know something's going to happen. But yet, why aren't they in there disguised as a police officer or something? That's what and I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> and then rat catcher just gets away way too quick. And it's so, but I'll, I'll let you comment on that. But yeah, I, I thought this, I thought this was a weak opening. I, I love Chuck Dixon. I love this series. I love everything about this, but it, it's definitely kind of a, a, a weak opening. Yeah. I love the shot on uh, the page isn't numbered. Um, it's after the Mortal Kombat uh, 2 ad. If you're uh, looking at your uh, book here digitally, then you'll st- it's almost a half-shot page of Batman and Robin, uh, like Terrence said, waiting uh, kind of outside the window, perched on gargoyles. I I think that's really cool. Of uh, you know seeing both their capes billowing and then the chair flying through, but yeah, it's uh, to me it's it's a little on on the weak side of kind of how like we think something might happen, but in case it doesn't, we're not going to go 
in. <laughs> it's, it's almost like Chuck Dixon was told, like, hey, you're going to have this guest penciler, this great artist, Lee Weeks. And it was more like, what cool stuff could I have Lee Weeks draw as opposed to what makes like this amazing story? Like, oh, it'd be cool to have Batman up on a ledge and it'd be cool to have all these rats and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the artist, I think, is fantastic through this. Um, you know, the rat catcher getting away on the on the roof and the rat's coming out. And Tim, uh, Dick even tells Tim to stay put. Don't let him bite you. Don't know if there's rabies. And doesn't listen and goes darting around Batman and falls off. And thanks to Tim, the rat catcher gets away. And I like the, you know, this was a good idea back to square one. So even though they had the forethought to stand out there. Uh, Tim kind of, you know, ruined it for him to kind of show that even though Dick is a novice at being Batman, he's not a novice at being a good uh, crime fighter or vigilante. So it's kind of nice to see as this kind of moves through a little bit that uh, Tim's doing some homework back in uh, Drake and uh, uh, Tim's dad's still there and, uh, you know, wanted to take his, his son out to. Uh, a match. Uh, yeah. knock, knock, knock. Hey, yeah. Tim, turn down the third base. I'm trying to concentrate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's a tennis racket on the tickets. Yeah, <laughs> oh, actually, sorry, to, sorry, no. to interrupt. It's, it's the most generalized sporting event ever. He's, this is the dialogue. I have tickets to the tennis open at the arena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would you like to see the team play the sport at the place? <laughs> no, not really, Dad. Yeah, we can buy a hot dog <laughs> yeah. and drink a cola. <laughs> <laughs> I let you play some rock and roll on the radio as we go there. <laughs> you dad, you're trying too hard. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I thought was interesting is Tim's the only Robin with a set of parents, at least right now. So he's kind of complaining on one hand. He's not getting a lot of time to be uh, Robin and his dad's wanting to spend time with him. You got to think this is running through the back of Tim's or Dick's mind and probably even Bruce's sometimes like you could go. You could go be with your dad. You know what would what would Dick give to spend time with his dad? Uh, where Tim says this is a lousy time for the rat catcher to come up, and Dick says, "Be thankful you have those kinds of problems, Tim. You almost lost your dad twice." And then there's the return of one of my favorite characters. I love Harold. Mm -hmm. He was in All Star. Did you see him in All Star Batman? Yes. A couple months ago. Yes. So I, I guess he's back in continuity. I was I was so angry when they took him out in in Hush. That what a waste that was. But uh, I just love Harold. I love the idea of Harold. That you know this this isn't a one man crusade. That you got to have somebody fixing the Batmobile and making this stuff. You know, and and it, it's such a I don't know. I, I just really like Harold. I like seeing him here. Uh, we have uh, Dick and Tim having a, a conversation in the uh, in the Batcave, and then that kind of moves on to uh, Batman being in with uh, Commissioner Gordon and uh, kind of talking about uh, uh, the Rat Catcher. But uh, more importantly, uh, Commissioner Gordon at one point turns his chair around and says, "I'll make it easier for you this time. Rather than you disappearing through uh, the window, you can just leave now." And the expression that Lee Weeks gives uh, Dick of like. Gordon knows what's going on. You may be able to fool Gordon once, maybe, but Gordon knows this is not the Batman that uh, he's been dealing uh, with, you know, essentially the the whole entire time. So I thought that was uh, really pretty cool that Gordon knows exactly what's going on. So Dick's going to have to tread lightly around Gordon, knows that he can't pull any punches with him. I thought that was uh, really interesting. Yeah, pages 11 and 12 make up for any shortcomings the beginning of the book might have yeah. had. 
because this is like the artwork on this is amazing. It's it's all dark except it's just lit by a lamp on Gordon's desk that he keeps turning and like lighting up Batman and moving around. And then there's like the uh, shadow from like the Venetian blinds. And there's this whole like exchange where Gordon's like, well, what about that other guy? The, the armored one is he gone for good. And Dick is like, yes. And he's like, at least there's that. And then there's something, some, some more dialogue, but, but Dick says nothing has to change commissioner and commissioner Gordon's like, everything changes. Yeah everything like you're kind of like what does he mean by that what's going on like it it, it it those two pages are just fantastic those two pages are just amazing so we have two face uh, in a bar and he basically just takes out anybody because he's sitting in somebody else's seat and uh, he's yeah. he's ready to kind of uh assert himself uh, back into Gotham. And then we have this <laughs> this section with, I love you, Chuck. I love you very much, but this whole section with the Rat Catcher, I think it's just due, like, Chuck does a really good job with the Rat Catcher, with what the who and what the Rat Catcher is. And you're kind of sympathizing. He, you know, is kind of in the underbelly. Nobody appreciated what he was doing, so he's kind of making people pay in Gotham City. And that the only friends that the Rat Catcher really had are his rats, and they're the only ones that understand. So I was just like, I think it's just more on the limitations of who the Rat Catcher is. I think Dixon does a really good job with what he's given as a character, um, but I think it's kind of almost like Nightfall putting Dick through the paces of the lower list villains until you get to the big dance uh, with Two-Face. Yeah, and the thing that makes this is, is the artwork. Oh, like yeah. the, the, the scenes with the rats underground are creepy. The lighting and the coloring with the rat catcher going through the sewers um, are, are just awesome. So whatever like story might be a little weak, um, it, the artwork far and away makes up for it. And you can just imagine this whole underground labyrinth of gotham and i think it's books like this that when i went and saw the dark knight rises and see bane in the sewers and on all that talk of the sewers mm-hmm. like this is what was in my mind and what i was imagining of underground gotham and that's what i was seeing in that movie and the two kind of connected and i thought it was great and and the rat catcher i'm looking it up here he, his first appearance was in um april of 1988 created by Alan Grant, John Wagner, and Norm Brayfogle. So he's another one of these Alan Grant, I don't know the continuity, so I'm just going to make up <laughs> villains. Right. And it's kind of cool that Dick is facing villains that he he's never seen before or come across. They were not around when he was Robin, but we're building up to this confrontation of him with Two-Face, who was critical in the new post-zero hour dick Grayson origin of him being robin and this momentous thing of of him being robin and having to save batman or the other guy and everything so it's kind of cool because you got the best of both word, worlds you got dick meeting these new guys but the build-up to a, a two-face uh, confrontation as well yeah i i agree totally and the cool thing i had forgotten while i was you know prepping for this is seeing the uh bat train so that was kind of cool to see uh uh, the Bat Train back in there, and this kind of moves uh, pretty quickly here. Uh, Batman's able to find out uh, through the sewers where uh, the Rat Catcher is, and 
uh, he has a little device to kind of send the rats away to kind of do the opposite of what the rat catcher is doing. He put a couple little like uh, computer and uh, you know radio transmitters on them. He figured that uh, four of the rats would be able to find uh, the rat catcher since the rat catcher was calling uh, the rats to him. And Batman makes quick work of uh, the rat catcher, and uh, Dick kind of leaves us with Two-Face is a whole nother story, and he's realizing that Killer Croc and Ventriloquist are now Ratso, I thought that was kind of funny, uh, were dangerous in their own right, but uh, still the minor leagues, and he knows that these may have been a little tougher for him to kind of deal with, just being that they're new. He knows that somebody larger is on the uh, on the rise, and realizing that... Uh, he now knows that just due to a clerical error, that a Two-Face is free, which has got to rub a little bit of salt in the wound. It's not a breakout that he just clearly walked out of the front door that now this thing that's been in the back of Dick's mind, he's going to have to kind of confront uh, all over again with Two-Face. So what would you think of the end of Detective Comics and our good friend the Ratcatcher here? Yeah, uh, I think it's cool that like Dick and and the writers and creators acknowledge these are minor league characters. So it's you know I think it's a cool build up uh, for them that it wasn't like first story take on the Joker. Um, the it's kind of cool. Robin's not in these last few pages because he's at the tennis match uh, at the arena with his dad. So even though there's no Robin, I think it's kind of cool that you know he he is with his dad and that Dick would be like you know no. You need to, you know, spending time with your father is just as much or even more important, I should say, more important than going out with me to catch the rat catcher and I can get this guy. So no problem. And, yeah, it was, it's cool because it's an ending, but it, it it entices you to want to read the next issue, to read Robin 11. And so from that perspective, it's it's a great third issue of a of a 10 part series. Yeah. Uh, and that's all I got to say on it. I'm done. <laughs> Radical. <laughs> Sorry. No, uh, the, the, this has been one. Of, I mean, we're only uh, three issues into Prodigal, but uh, I'm really excited to where Prodigal is, is going to take us. And uh, the things that I'm remembering that I really liked about this story are really starting to come through uh, with each issue. So I think that's where we're going to uh, put a pin in it. We went just uh, a little long here. But we kind of wanted to set up the next uh, episode properly to get a, a Robin issue on, in part four of uh, Prodigal. And uh, I think we'll we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Uh, it means a lot to us. Keep the questions and comments coming to us. And uh, we'll be reading comments and questions on the air. So on the behalf of Terrence and our uh, good friend Ryan, who's not with us today, this is Rob. And you've been listening to the BatmanUniverse.net. And more importantly, you've been listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves Drake. 
And as always, you can message directly over at the batmanuniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TVU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Money's worse.